Two days away from week three inside the Dome, Syracuse and Purdue, a nooner on Saturday. Get excited. I'm here with Mike Carmen, and we're going to talk about everything that has to do Syracuse-Purdue on this Saturday's game. We'll get into it. Our Locked On Syracuse, your daily podcast on the Syracuse Orange, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Matt Bonaparte here on Lockdown Syracuse. Thanks for making Lockdown Syracuse your first listen every day. We're free and available wherever you get your podcast. I'm here with Mike Carmen of the Lafayette Courier Journal. Last week we had Alexis Cubit of the Louisville Courier Journal. Maybe we're just a Courier Journal uh, sponsored podcast at this point. Thanks for coming, Mike. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, Louisville is also part of our our Gannett family, so maybe. Long time ago, they just flipped the names for the fun of it. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, so Syracuse taking on Purdue. The first question I have is, I we talked a little bit pre-podcast about how preseason Syracuse fans, I think, saw this game as like, all right, well, Purdue's showing up and they're just going to whoop Syracuse in the Dome. What was the feeling looking at this game preseason and compared to what it is now for Purdue fans? First of all, uh, Purdue never shows up and just whips anybody, so that's <laughs> that never happens and hasn't happened a whole lot in their in their program history. Um, in in the off season, I think it was a game that Purdue fans looked at as uh, a better than fifty percent chance of winning, um, and a lot of it probably was dependent on what happened against Penn State before actually Penn State happened because there was an opportunity there for Purdue. If they beat Penn state, obviously they would, they were going to beat Indiana state. And then you go to Syracuse with an opportunity to really stay unbeaten at that point, gain some momentum going back into the big 10 in in early October. But now that reality is here, Purdue has lost the Penn state game. Syracuse is two and O played very well against Louisville minus the penalties, I guess. Uh, And then uh, had a nice win at UConn. Um, there's some there's some concern on the Purdue side that uh, they could be sitting at one and two uh, with Florida Atlantic next week before jumping into Big Ten play. So uh, I think the outlook has completely changed. Uh, the other part is that you know Purdue will be without its, in my opinion, its best defensive player in Jalen Graham, uh, and they have to overcome that not only this week but next week and possibly when they go to Minnesota. So. The, it, when people ask me in the off season, you know, well, how do you think Purdue's going to do? What's their record going to be? I say, well, can you tell me who's going to get injured? What week they're going to get injured? Yeah. And can Purdue even replace that player? And Jalen Graham, in my opinion, is not a guy. There's not another Jalen Graham on the roster. And that's going to hurt Purdue in this game and over the next couple of weeks. But um, I, know, I know from the Syracuse side, this has turned into a monumental game a chance to really keep that early season momentum going. Uh, so I, I expect them to be, you know, ready to go, fired up. And, you know, and Purdue's got some things to prove here. Can they win a close game uh, that, you know, let slip away against Penn State if they're in that situation again? So 
I, I, there's this has become an important game, I think, for both programs uh, right now. Absolutely. For Syracuse, this is kind of the, all right, this is the test kind of game. Uh, we saw them beat Louisville, but, you know, two weeks into the season, we don't really know how good Louisville is right now. And UConn was a cupcake game, so everybody expected a win there. So 2-0 and was kind of a given after the first win. It's all about week three now against a real team that, like you said, came really close to beating a Penn State team that is now ranked 22nd in the nation. So they are in a very similar spot. But before we get into the nitty-gritty and talk player-by-player, player, can you just give the Syracuse audience just an elevator pitch on this team uh, about who they are and what they do? Well, uh, Purdue is a program not just under Jeff Brom, but is a team that throws the ball. Uh, they, they're, they're the cradle of quarterbacks been that way for 60 years, <laughs> I want to say. Uh, they've, they've always built their program. When they've had success, they've built their program around the quarterback and wide receivers and throwing the ball around. You know, I always like to say that Purdue doesn't hasn't ever had the infrastructure to be a ground-and-pound program. They don't – they've never recruited – or had success recruiting a lot of really talented offensive linemen. Um, you know, they've had really good backs over the years, but, um, you know, they, they determined early on in their, their history that uh, quarterback throwing the ball, playing exciting football, putting up points uh, was a way to get people into the stands and, and the ways to get, uh, you know, people to the program and people to watch, watch the games. And Jeff Brom fits that perfectly right now he's a former quarterback played at louisville you know all that kind of stuff so they've continued that tradition uh, that's what they are on offense uh, they, they haven't been a strong running team under jeff in part because he doesn't commit to it um so but that's you know there, there's some things they can do there to help help themselves you know their quarterback aiden o'connell is a six-year guy he started as a walk-on had a chance, you know, he could have gone to Division Two or Division Three school, but wanted to walk on. He was eighth or ninth on the depth chart when he got here, but through a series of events, injuries, uh, and stuff like that, that he has moved up. He, you know, he, he wasn't even the starter at the beginning of last year, um, but he's a very accurate passer, has a very strong arm, uh, has really embraced his role, not only as a quarterback, but as a leader on this team, and the team does rally around him. Now they had to replace David Bell, receiver who's now a rookie at Cleveland. Uh, but Charlie Jones, the, the Iowa transfer, has really uh, stepped up. So they've, they've filled some holes there. Defensively, um, you know, when Jeff Brown first got here, uh, the defense was was pretty good, carried them for a little bit, but then they hit a lull. Um, but the last couple of years, they've been better defensively because they're taking a more aggressive approach. Uh, but again, they've had to fill some holes from last year. George Karloftis was the number one pick for the Chiefs, um, and he's playing in the NFL right now. They don't, you know, Jalen Graham was their star uh, on defense, but he, he's out for a few more weeks. So they don't have a lot of star power on the defense right now, but they have a lot of depth on the defensive line, uh, which should show up on Saturday. And they've got a couple other playmakers in the back half, but nobody like Graham. Uh, but defensively, they haven't been a strong unit over their history. Uh, they, a lot of times, they've just leaned on outscoring people. Now you go back to the Joe Tiller days. Uh, 
they were putting their better athletes on defense, even guys that were wide receivers in high school, they would move over to the defensive side. And for a period of time, they were very athletic on defense. A lot of those guys ended up in the NFL uh, and they were able to make a lot of plays, but they, they still needed the offense to, to, to score some points. Uh, so, and I think probably old time Syracuse fans, Syracuse fans remember the Sunday game at Ross State Stadium that ended up 51 to nothing. Uh, that was, that was a, that was, that was a surprise shellacking. I was there and I was <laughs> stunned that, that that happened the way it did. But, uh, you know, I don't know if I answered your question the best of my ability, but that's Absolutely. kind of a no, of what Purdue's program has been, where it's at today, and uh, you know, this is the this is who they're going to be under Jeff Brom, and I think this is the, who they're going to be regardless of of the coach. Okay, I want to j- jump into Jeff Brom uh, a little bit more, but first, let me take a quick break to read a word from our sponsor, BetOnline.net. It's your number one source for all your pro and college football betting needs and sports info this season. Find all of the latest football league developments, game matchups, news and podcasts, including this year's Week 3 college games. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sporting wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. The fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite sports and events, including MLB, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. Bet online where the game starts. All righty. So this past season, Purdue hits the nine-win mark for the first time since 2003. In your opinion, how much of that was Jeff Brom? Well, I mean, yeah, you got to give him credit for that. Um, this was a, you know, last year's team – you know, again, Aiden O'Connell wasn't the starting quarterback at the beginning of the year. Jack Plummer was a starting quarterback, and their offense really didn't get going. But their defense kept them in a lot of games. Uh, O'Connell eventually took over and became the starter because uh, they ended up winning, what, five of the last six or something like that, only lost to Ohio State uh, during that stretch. Um, but, yeah, he gets, he gets credit for it because of – the philosophy he brought to the defensive side. He, he wanted it to be similar to what they were doing offensively, hired veteran assistant coaches. One of the key coaches they hired was Mark Hagan, uh, who used to be at Purdue under Joe Tiller back in the early 2000s. I think he's one of the best, if not the best, defensive line coach in the Big Ten and maybe the country. Ron English, a veteran, a former head coach who was East, at Eastern Michigan, uh, but also was a defensive coordinator at Michigan for a long time and spent some time at Florida before he came to Purdue. So he's got a veteran staff on that side of the ball. So, you know, he assembled the right staff on the defensive side and they had some, you know, they had playmakers. They had George Karloftis had some other guys. Uh, but yeah, Jeff gets a, you know, gets a tremendous amount of credit for the nine wins. And, you know, that's, that's the way it goes. He also gets the blame for four wins when <laughs> things didn't go well. <laughs> so, uh, that's the coach's you know, that, life. Yeah, that's 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 the way it goes in a coaching business. So I've only heard good things about quarterback Aiden O'Connell. You mentioned he didn't start the year uh, as the starter last year, and this year he's come in and, and played pretty well. Hasn't thrown a pick thus far. What do you think his ceiling is, and how does Syracuse beat him? He is he, he's an accurate passer. Uh, against Penn State, he, he only completed, I say only, but he completed 50% of his passes. That's his lowest completion percentage in any game at Purdue, either as a starter or, or a backup. But he backed it up last week with a nearly 90% completion percentage against 
uh, Iowa State. Um, how, how does Syracuse kind of beat him or rattle him? First of all, get some pressure on him. Um, Penn State didn't get pressure early, but they were close enough to force him to throw the ball before he wanted to, maybe a split second before he wanted to, and therefore Purdue missed some plays in the fourth quarter that that probably would have put that game away. He's not the most mobile quarterback, even though he has worked on his athletic ability, trying to have you know better better footwork in the pocket. There was a play against Penn State where they ran an option that if he would have kept it, I think he would have scored, but he ended up pitching it. So he's not I don't want to say he's not comfortable running, but it's not it's not his strength. But if you said if you let him sit back there in the pocket, find his receivers, he's gonna he's gonna pick you apart because he's that that accurate. And if Syracuse tries to take away Charlie Jones, which they should, then he's going to have to go elsewhere uh, to, to find his playmakers. And and that's the question right now with Purdue's offense. Uh, who, who's going to be the number two receiver that they can lean on? Or does that become a tight end in Payne Durham, who I think is one of the better ones in the Big Ten? But that, that's the question right now. Charlie Jones is going to get his targets. He's going to get his catches. But at some point, they're going to need a number two to step up and get it done. So if you can get a, if you can get pressure on O'Connell, um, any other thing Syracuse has to do, they can't let Purdue successfully run the ball. They're not a, as I mentioned, they're not a great running team. But if they start to have success running the ball, that's going to open up more things in the sure. passing game for them. So before we get to the to the what uh, the Boilers. Um, running game is like. I was going to just ask you about Charlie Jones and how he's caught 21 passes and nobody else has caught more than six. I mean, it seems pretty telegraphed and that the ball is going to him. Uh, and Aiden O'Connell is going to have to deal with a really strong secondary that Syracuse has and Deuce Chestnut and Garrett Williams. What kind of battle do you think that's going to be? And do you think they'll be successful through the air through a second target like you mentioned? Well, I, I envision them force-feeding the ball to Charlie Jones early, just trying to get him going and seeing how Syracuse is going to play that. But I, I do think eventually, if they have success, that Syracuse is going to do everything in its power to take it away. And then and O'Connell's going to have to go elsewhere. I mean, it's easy to say, well, Purdue needs a number two receiver to step up. Well, a number two receiver can only step up if Aiden O'Connell throws him the ball. And you have to understand the history of Charlie Jones and Aiden O'Connell. They grew up playing youth football together. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. And they didn't go to the same high school, but they played youth football, youth baseball together, and their families stayed in touch. Their families are similar. Both families have six kids and and all that kind of stuff. Charlie Jones ended up going to Buffalo, getting into transfer portal, walking on in Iowa, um, and then got, got back into the portal last spring or after spring practice and basically hooked up with Aiden and asking Aiden, Hey, is this a good spot for me? And yes. Oh. <laughs> and uh, I mean, Charlie's been clear why he came to Purdue for the offense. He wants to showcase his skills that wasn't getting done at Iowa. And anybody that's followed Iowa this year can understand why the offense is struggling a little bit. Uh, so th- they're best buddies, their childhood friends. He's going to throw him the ball. He's going to try to get him in a situation to make plays. From Purdue's standpoint, you hope that he doesn't overdo it uh, or tries to force something that's not there because he's he's re, you know he he's convinced that Charlie's going to make the play. That can be good and bad. 
you know, Purdue did the same thing with David Bell uh, last year. They they would they would target him often, uh, but at some point, it you know, you've got to go elsewhere. But the other guys have to make plays uh, as well. So I, I see him trying to get charted the ball as much as possible, and then kind of see how it plays out from there. Sure, and. 15 different guys have caught passes for Purdue this season. So the the love has been spread despite one guy getting most of it. Um, okay, so on to the rushing attack. There are four players on this team with upwards of, of 10 carries. Um, what is it like to have that kind of committee? Do you think it's an advantage because every guy who's going to carry the ball knows he can go 100% because he's going to get a, a break soon? Like, what's the story there? Well, uh, first of all, I uh, I don't expect all their running backs to get a carry okay. on Saturday. Uh, you know, King Daru is their number one running back. Uh, Dylan Downing is their number two. Uh, Kobe Lewis is their number three. I, I think that's probably where it ends on Saturday. Uh, King Daru's had a good season so far. Uh, he scored three red zone touchdowns, which was a struggle for Purdue last year when they got in the red zone. They couldn't run the ball effectively. Um, and then Dylan Downing is a, is a backup who's slimmed down. He's, he's probably more effective. He, he's effective in the run game, but also he, he brings uh, some qualities in the pass game that the others don't. And Kobe Lewis is a transfer from Central Michigan who didn't play last year towards ACL in, in training camp, uh, set out and then got in the transfer portal. Purdue picked him up. They, they add depth um, and they have decent depth at, at the running back position. They have more bodies than they've had in a while at that spot. There have been times in practice over the last couple of years, a running back coach would be working with two guys because they just didn't have the depth. So they've got more depth, but those three are the, I think are the ones they're really going to lean on um, when they, when they want to run the ball. Um, and that's just kind of how Jeff Brom, Jeff Brom has done it. Uh, one of the guys is a walk on Devin Mockaby who had, he was leading rusher last week, but it was against an FCS school. Um, but he has some talent and he runs hard and if injuries happen, he'll, he'll get in position to play. But I, I would expect the, the top three guys to get most of the plays and or carries in this game. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, all right, let's, uh, hop on to the other side of the ball. The big story of course is Jalen Graham. Like you mentioned before guy is irreplaceable. He's a linebacker safety can fit in anywhere. Superstar on the defensive end. I've seen somewhere in some different places that some people are, are, you know, speculating that they might try and, and switch up the defense entirely. What do you think they're going to try to do to to fit that hole now that that uh, Jalen Graham's gone? I mean, I'd be surprised if they switched up the defense entirely. Just they have a lot of defensive linemen. Um, you know, they they've played twelve, at least twelve defensive linemen in the first two games. So they have a wow. good rotation there. That's they're crazy. They're they're front uh, four. Their starters up front have been have been solid, uh, but they they lack a star uh, in that unit, and they need they need one or two guys to emerge. Um, they have some talented defensive ends and some defensive tackles, um, but they're not getting the kind of pressure that they want to get. Now it's only game two. We'll see how it plays out over the next few weeks, but they have a lot of bodies there. They've been using them. And I think Mark Hagan, as I mentioned, is one of the best. And the whole goal is to to keep those guys as fresh as possible 
So when you get in the fourth quarter, your starters are still uh, playing at a high level. They're not gassed. They're not playing 80 plays. They're playing 50 or 55. And, you know, that's where I think Purdue's defense can, can make a difference, not only Saturday, but in any game that they play. Their linebackers are not probably as strong as they've been in the past. Um, but their secondary, uh, even without Jalen, uh, Cam Allen had a pick six last week. Uh, Sanusi Kane, who is going to be a starter now at safety. He's actually from Harlem, New York. So he's really looking forward to coming back and getting in the state, even though he's what, five hours away. Uh, so he, he gets a little bit of a home game. Uh, Chris Jefferson's going to take Jalen's spot. He's a, uh, he'll play the nickel position. He's a transfer from a Division II program from two years ago, but he had a pick six, pick six against Penn State. The one area I think of concern is Purdue's defense is their cornerbacks. I don't think it played that well uh, in the first two games, and they they need to play better. But I, I don't see any kind of overhaul here. You're going to see okay. some new faces and new bodies uh, in the game because they, they, they do have to shuffle some people around. And the thing that I think uh, – will happen is that, you know, in running situations, I, I, they need to get a little bit bigger. So you might see some new players with some size because you're trying to make up for what Graham brought. So there might be some new, new, new faces there, you know, in obvious running situations where, where they'll be on the field. Cool. Um, I don't know if it's your first time in Syracuse, but uh, the dome is going to be packed how much do you think the noise is going to impact Boilermakers? Well, I mean, it's a concern. I mean, they're 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 practicing this week in their indoor practice facility, even though it's sunny and eighty-five degrees here. Interesting. Um, so they they they're trying to prepare themselves as best as possible. Uh, yesterday after practice, you know, every every program's got music blaring, um, but the speakers were in the corner of the indoor practice facility and the offense was over there uh, right in front of the speakers uh, wow. and the speak and they were playing music extremely loud, which even interview interrupted our interview time. Uh, but they were working on their silent counts just to, to try to deal with the noise. Uh, yeah. So that's something, that's something they're going to, you know, every team that goes in there has to deal with it and produce trying to be as prepared as it can uh, to deal with that situation. They don't, they don't play in a lot of domes. I think the last time they played in one was Brahms first game against Louisville back in 2017. Uh, so it'll be a somewhat new experience, but, um, you know, I, I, they're doing the best they can to, you know, prepare for it. I, I, I was thinking about that because, you know, living in our Syracuse bubble, the dome is so uh, natural. And I, I was watching some press conferences and somebody asked, how are you going to prepare to play in the dome? And I was like, Oh my gosh, I forgot that was like a thing. <laughs> yeah. You don't do it. You don't do it very much yeah. if at all. And um, so, yeah, you, you have to take some, some different, you know, when they, when they go to Wisconsin, when they go to Iowa, when they go to some of the big 10 schools, they'll, they'll practice outside and blare music to try to simulate a crowd noise and, you know, the cadence and stuff like that. So it's, it's not anything new. It wouldn't probably, you know, Syracuse would probably next year at this time, Syracuse is going to do the same thing, practicing outside with noise because they're going to come to Ross Aid Stadium and yeah. there's going to be 55,000 people here. 
So they're going to do the same thing next year, just in a different. That was situation. what I was going to say. Is it's the flip for us? I think somebody asked uh, Schrader going into Week Two, "How's it going to be playing outside?" <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is pretty funny. Uh, all right. Well, thanks so much for, for coming on, Mike. I really appreciate it, Mike Carmen of the Lafayette Courier Journal. Nope, Journal and Courier. Journal Courier. <laughs> My bad. That's on me. I apologize. That's all right. That's well, all thank right. you. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for reaching out. Appreciate it. And looking forward to my trip, my first trip to Syracuse. Awesome. Well, if you need any spots, I got you. you just reach out to me. I'll tell you where to go. Um, that is it for today's episode. Thanks for making Lockdown Syracuse your first listen every day. Go make, get more on the ACC. Make Lockdown ACC your second listen every day. Host Candace Cooper and the local experts of Lockdown take you across the ACC in 30 minutes. Lockdown ACC. Make it your second listen. And I'll see you tomorrow.